attitude toward finances and the ministry. He talks about how he was willing to give up certain things because it would help him to do something important, that is, to share the gospel. He shares with us how he was so flexible that within the bounds of what God had commanded, he molded and shaped his ministry so that whatever it took, he would have the opportunity to preach the gospel because that was that important to him, that nothing would stand in the way, no sacrifice would be too much. Now as we come to beginning with verse 24 and on into the end of the chapter, he boils it down to some sports athletic metaphors. And it's kind of interesting for a guy like Paul. He, he used athletic metaphors a lot. And you suspect Paul wasn't much of an athlete. When you think about the life that he led, basically from a young age, being prepared for theology, being a Pharisee, extra-biblical descriptions of Paul were that he was this little tiny, stooped-over, wimpy guy, not very good-looking, not very impressive. And it's kind of funny that he would talk about sports as much as he does, given the fact that no doubt there in the, in the Jewish playground, he was probably always the last one picked for a team. But as is so often the case in life, even some of the wimpiest, least athletic people have a great appreciation for sports. And I think that was probably Paul. He was the nerd who was keeping the stats and things like that as he was growing up. And, and when he finally hit his adulthood, he discovered what his sport really was. And that's when he became really passionate about something because he saw what God had called him to do. And he practiced the life of the ministry the way a champion would practice their athletics. And so he uses it as that kind of a picture, often in Scripture. Beginning with verse 24, he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He said a lot of people run, but... Only one person ultimately wins. And he said, run like you want to win. Now, it's interesting where he says that, you know, the, a, lot, a lot of people run in a race, but one receives the prize. The word there is a normal word for receive, lambano. It just, you get the prize. But then at the end of the verse, when he says, run so that you may obtain it, it's an expanded version of the word lambano. It's the word kata lambano. And it's the idea of not just getting your reward, but when you go to get it, you grab it. You snatch it. You grab it by the throat. You really go for it. And that's what he's talking about. He goes, we're in a race. Run like you really expect to win. And not just to win by a little bit. Run like you just want to blow this thing out you want to pour it on completely, and you want to relish the prize that you receive. He says, everyone who competes, the word there, the Greek word is agonizo, refers to somebody who's really trying hard. It was a word that was sometimes used for wrestling, and he may be um, referencing wrestling and athletics at this point. No sport is more 
completely demanding than that one. And so it came to be a term used for that because it takes constant effort and, and focus and potential. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. The word there for temperate means you have a strong hold on yourself, strong self-control. They're temperate in all things. And they do it to obtain a perishable crown, this little trophy or something. But we are wrestling and battling and competing for a crown that lasts forever, an imperishable crown. Therefore, he says, here's what this means to me. I run like this, not with uncertainty, He goes, when I'm running a race, I stay on the track, in my lane, I know exactly where I'm going, what I'm trying to do with my life. I have a focus. Not uncertainly, I'm just not out for a jog, running wherever, going in every which direction. I'm also not just on a treadmill where I'm staying in one place and just keep pumping my legs. He said, I know where I'm going. It's kind of the difference between the way a man goes to the store and the way a woman goes to the store. (laughs) If I go to the store, I don't like going to the store, but if I go, I park closest to the place in the store where the thing that I'm going for is. And I head right to it, and I hate it when Home Depot rearranges their store because I I know what I need, and it's not where I want it to be. But I want to get in and get out and get out of there as fast as I can. There isn't any question about it. What I came to get, I'm going to get. And I'm not going to come home with a bunch of other stuff unless they put some cool knives or screwdrivers or something right there at the cash register. Then I may do a few impulse buys. But on the other hand, when my wife goes to the store, and I've just learned not to go with her. it's It's a great sacrifice for you husbands to go shopping with your wives. And if you can cut it, you know, great for you, you know, I'm proud of you. For me, I've just found there are certain things that just aren't worth it. But when she goes to the store, it doesn't matter. She may not know what she wants. And she goes all different directions, wandering all over the place, takes her forever. And she'll come home with a bunch of stuff that she didn't even plan on getting. Last Sunday night, I I was going to speak at 6 o'clock at a church up in West Covina, and so Ann said, oh, I'll go with you. Said, okay, great. You know, I'll need to leave at 5. It takes about an hour to get out there that time of day. She said, okay, I'll be home at 5. So it gets to be about 10 till 5 or quarter to 5. And Ann called me, and she goes, okay, I'm almost home. But she goes, do I have time to uh, stop at Trader Joe's just to get some milk? And I go, well, Ann, you and I both know if you go to Trader Joe's, you're not just going to get milk. <laughs> And I said, she goes, no, no, juice milk. All I'll get is milk. It's right on the way. And I go, well, I said, honestly, if you really are where you say you are right now, and you go in there, and all you get is milk, and you come home, yeah, it should be, you should be able to make it. But I said, at 5 o'clock, I'm leaving. So if you're not here, nothing personal. But, I, <laughs> but you know, I... I I just need to get to the place where I'm speaking. So 5 o'clock came and went, and I'm like, oh boy, it's 5.05, it's 5.10, and I'm thinking, okay, now, if I leave right now, and I drive way fast, (laughs) 
and I take carpool liberties without anybody, I might be able to get to West Covina by 6 o'clock. So then about then, Ann called, and she goes, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. And I go, well, uh, I am too. I really, and she goes, no, no, I'll be, I'll be there in 30 seconds. And I go, okay, I'll wait 30 seconds. So I'm in my car, I'm waiting 30 seconds, and of course she's not there. And so then I wait about a minute. Then I just it took off. I had to, and I'm racing down the street. About five minutes later, she calls, and she goes, where are you? I just got home. I, I, I said, well, I knew once you got home, you'd have to take the groceries in and put them away and everything. I'm, I was just going to be late, so I'm sorry I had to leave. And, and she goes, oh, well, you know, I go, why did it take so long at Trader Joe's? She said, it was really crowded. The lines were really long. And I said, and you only got milk? There was silence. <laughs> <laughs> so she didn't get to go with me. And I, and I was certainly someone who was, as Paul said, freed from the law as I was heading to West Covina, and I got there right when church was starting, so it worked out. But Paul's saying, you know what? When I run my race, it's not like that. I think I'll just look around. I think I'll just go. No, he goes, I know exactly where I'm going. I get there. I head there. That's what I do. He goes on to say, also, I fight. That's the word for uh, boxing. I fight not as one who beats the air. He goes, I'm not just messing around with what I do. I'm not just kind of getting a workout and, and pretending like I'm boxing. Not like these aerobics, Taibo, or boxing classes where women pretend like they're fighting, but they would never be able to win a fight. You know, it's just, I'm just playing a game here. He, Paul goes, I'm not doing Taibo. I'm in a real battle, and I'm focused on it, and I know what I'm doing, and I know what I'm called to do. But, he says, verse 27, I discipline my body. That word for discipline means to beat something up. It's actually a word that comes from a root that refers to when the bottoms of your eyes get puffy when you've been hit in the face so many times. He goes, that's what I do. I beat myself up. And I bring it into subjection. The word there literally means I lead it into slavery. It was a word when they would take the slaves out to put them up for sale. He said, my body has become my slave. Lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's a word that refers to when you look at a piece of metal or a coin to decide whether or not it's really valuable. And then he puts the A in front of it, which means not. He said, there's a danger that though I can talk a good game, yet when someone inspects my life, they'll hold it up to the light of day and go, this doesn't, this doesn't measure up to what it takes to run the race, to fight the battle that is the Christian life. Now, Paul lays this out. There are a lot of great principles that we can learn from it. But it's frankly not a pretty picture of the Christian life because it's obviously there's some discomfort and some pain involved. It's not easy. It's not for everyone. Our idea so often of being a Christian is, oh, you get to sign up and be with a lot of people and it's kind of easy and casual. And well, there might be some people who are really hardcore into it, but you don't have to do that. But 
The only Christian life that the Bible talks about is one that's difficult, one that's painful, one that involves discipline and training and no pain, no gain. That's the way the Bible always describes it. When Jesus said, if you want to be my disciples, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. It's not like, hey, you want to have all your problems solved? Well, sign up here. We'll solve all your problems. It's signing up for a competition, signing up for a battle, signing up for a fight. And that's how Paul depicts the Christian life. And so it's a little bit discouraging in some ways, but this is the way it is. And Paul's honest with us, and I want to be honest with you. One of the things that we notice is that he was willing to pay this price because there was a prize involved. There was something that was worth going for. And that something that is worth going for is godliness. Paul, over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, talked about disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. He said, physical exercise is worth something. But godliness, that's something worth going for. And you need to discipline yourself in order to get there, in order to live that life. And so here he says, you know what? It is tough, but there's a prize that makes it worth it. Finishing strong, finishing ahead, reaching out and grabbing the finish line. That is worth what it takes to live the life that I'm telling you God is calling us to live. And he says, Hey, people in this life, they train really hard just for a perishable crown, just for something that isn't really worth too much, a stupid trophy or a medal or something like that. And a gold medal isn't even made out of gold. And they do it, and they think it's worth it. But how much more, Paul says, when God tells us that we have an, an incorruptible reward, we have a payoff that lasts forever, if we live our lives here the way we are supposed to, if we are willing to suffer the pain and the suffering that goes with this life, he goes, man, there is a crown out there that's so worth it. It's so permanent. It lasts for eternity. Paul uses the same word prize over in Philippians chapter 3 when he said, you know, I gave up everything. Everything that meant something to me, I counted it as dung. And instead, I forget what lies behind, and I reach forward to what lies ahead, and I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. There is something that's worth working for. There is something that's worth suffering for. It's worth any price that you have to pay as we move in this Christian life toward godliness. And so Paul kind of lays that out. He kind of lets us know, if you aren't focused and recognize you're in a battle, you're going to miss. You're going to lose. You'll miss the chance to be who you could be, to achieve what's worth achieving, to look back at your life and say, that was all worth it. But you need to focus and you need to work hard, and it involves pain. Now, it's a competition, no doubt about it. But it's not a competition, oddly enough, against other people. In some ways, I wish it was. I wish our battle was just against flesh and blood. Because, frankly, you don't have to work very hard to be better than most people. 
you wouldn't have to read the Bible very much to read the Bible more than most people. In this country, of all the people that call themselves Christians, 80% of them never read their Bibles. So if you read your Bible once a week, you're already in the top 20%. And 60% of them don't even go to church. So here you are, you show up at church, boy, you're doing good. And if we are comparing ourselves among ourselves, it's pretty easy to build up your self-esteem spiritually and go, I'm doing good. But the problem is this isn't a race whereby you have to beat other people. This is a race where the enemy, the one that you are competing against, is you. Your own limitations, your own laziness, your own propensity to be selfish, to do the wrong thing at the wrong time, and that's your competition. You're in a race, you're in a war, you're in a battle, you're in a boxing match, you're in a wrestling match, and your com competition is the one you see when you look in the mirror. And so Paul said, I'm stuck beating myself up. When I do what God calls me to do, a part of it involves hurting myself, putting myself into pain because of the prize of godliness that waits for me. This is a message that's kind of lost on society today. We're really looking for things to be easy and convenient. And if somebody says you need to work hard, nobody wants to do that. We live in a society of wimps whereby, you know, nowadays, even in the field of athletics, which used to be just the pure place where you discover pure competition, and anything goes, and you are willing to suffer pain in order to do it. But now, more and more, the rules of sports are designed to even the playing field. So that, for instance, in high school sports now, in the state of California, for the most part, you aren't allowed to play one sport year-round. Why? Because, hey, if you let somebody play baseball all year, they're going to be better than the person that just shows up during baseball season. And that's not fair. And so what we do is we bring the level of competition down by telling people you can't practice too much. If you're a high school football coach and you decide that, you know, we're going to work harder than everyone else. So the other teams are practicing from 2.30 to 5.30. We're going to stay and we're going to practice till 8 o'clock. You'll be fired. They'll say, nope, we can't have that. And so, so, much, so many rules are put in just to keep people from working too hard because in our society, we don't want to pay a price in order to achieve something. That, admittedly, when it comes to sports, how much is that really worth? Maybe not much. But what we want to do is make everything simple and easy for everyone. Everyone plays. But I'll tell you something, when you watch someone who's really worked hard at a sport or any activity, you realize, wow, that's how it's supposed to look. When you look at uh, these, there's these Nike commercials, I think it's Nike now, that show LeBron James. It's just a kid playing in the NBA, great player. And you look at that picture of him gliding through the air. He looks like a ballet dancer, gliding, spinning, jumping, dunking the ball. And it's just, oh, man, I'd love to be able to do that. 
But you know what? I haven't paid the price to be able to do that. In the commercial, LeBron James says something pretty profound, I think. He says, you don't want to be LeBron James. You want to be better than LeBron James. And that's the heart of a true competitor who says, you know what? I want to excel, and I want to pay the price. Funny thing about training is that when you work hard enough, it will look like you're doing what you're doing with ease. You look at people who spend hours and hours dancing, and then you see them on a dance floor, and they just look so free. It's amazing. But you realize how many blisters they have, how hard they have to work, the soreness of the muscles, the injuries that they need to endure in order to learn to dance like that or for an ice skater to jump up in the air and spin around. When I look at those people jumping up and spinning around on ice skates, it looks like I could do it. (laughs) But trust me, I've tried. (laughs) And I haven't paid the price to make it look easy like that. For me to toddle around on the skates would be plenty. Today, that's probably too hazardous for me. But see, when you work hard enough at something, you can make it look easy, and you can discover a freedom that comes from having paid the price of competition. And Paul was in a place where he was saying, that's what you can experience if you're willing to pay the price as a Christian to discipline yourself, that you'll make it look easy. You look at people who... It seems like whatever you say, they know a Bible verse that fits with it perfectly. And they have large sections of the Scripture, you know, memorized. And they just know the words so well. You have a question, they have an answer. And you go, well, it must be nice to have that. How can I do it in 15 minutes? You go, well, you can't. It takes a lifetime of study in order to have it all just there on the tip of your tongue. And as you get older, you have to work even harder just to keep from losing what you have, whatever capacities that you have. But Paul would look at the Christian life and say, it is worth beating yourself up in order to grow closer to God, to represent him well. Someday the prize will make it worth it. Our society has a whole lot of shortcuts. And the only way to get where you really want to go is by being willing to pay the price. It's discipline. One of the great scourges of our time is people who are addicted to various substances or various activities because they have found in a substance a shortcut. You know, you haven't, you haven't lived your life the way you should, so you don't have friends, you don't have healthy relationships, you haven't taken care of your body, so it aches all the time. And so, man, what do you do? Take a pill, you'll feel a lot better. You haven't, you know, your life is, is a mess because of choices that you've made. Just dope yourself up, you'll be fine. And what happens, we become addicted to these shortcuts. Now, it can happen to anyone. And so often we can look at those who are addicted to substances and not realize we do the same thing, but we might be addicted to work or television or food or something that's socially acceptable. So what does it take? There are all kinds of books and tapes and programs and all sorts of great ways for you to 
kick your addictions. But you know what ultimately you have to do sooner or later? You just have to stop. You just have to say no to that which your body is telling you yes. And you just have to go, I am not going to do this anymore. It's going to be painful to stop, but it's going to be more painful if I keep going. I want to battle through this, and I have to pay whatever price it is in order to fix what's wrong with my life by by disciplining myself. Jesus called disciples, and when he called with the Great Commission to go out to all the world, it was to make disciples. A disciple is someone who is disciplined. A disciple is someone who realizes it's worth the pain, it's worth the hurt, it's worth the preparation to get to a point where you're truly free, to be able to do what you've been created to do. There's a heavy price to get there. And the enemy is you. And in our competition, we either accept that challenge and fight that battle or we roll over and play dead and give up and become victims of ourselves, ultimately destroying ourselves in one way or another. Self-destructing rather than humbling ourselves to the point where we realize we need to do something that's uncomfortable. Denying ourselves and taking up our cross. Now, in the Christian life, this looks like a whole lot of things that the Bible commands that we don't like to do. And there are a lot of people who've written books on Christian disciplines, activities of the Christian life. And I'm not going to go through all of the Christian disciplines, but we'll talk about a few of them. One is just simply reading the Bible. If you are not reading your Bible every day, you're really not going to become who God wants you to be. Now, I know some days are really busy, and it's hard to do it, and maybe you're dyslexic, or maybe you have an overwhelming life, and it's not always easy to do, and and it means if you're going to read your Bible, you're going to have to get up earlier and lose some sleep. It might mean you have to skip a meal or whatever in order to get time to read the Bible. It takes discipline. It takes work. But Paul would say, that's the price of training. That's the price of becoming who God wants you to be. And so we read our Bibles. You know, most Christians have never even read the whole Bible or read it all the way through. Now, if you read like three and a third chapters a day, you will have read the Bible completely through in one year. So how hard is that? If you just read like three chapters a day every day and then five chapters a day on Sunday, you'll finish reading the Bible through in, in less than a year. But that is a sacrifice. Sometimes it's even painful, and it hurts to do that. But it's so worth it. Once you're reading the Bible, how about memorizing it? Hiding God's Word in your heart. You can read Psalm 119, and it talks about the, all the benefits of, of learning God's Word, of hiding it in your heart. Psalm 1 says that, you know, when you meditate on the Word of God, everything that you do will prosper. You'll be successful. But are you willing to pay the price? Well, I don't know. I'm too old to memorize. That's for little kids. How are you going to find your way home today? (laughs) 
How do you? Uh, there's so many things that we, you know, your own phone number. There's things that even though you may be losing it, you could have, al- even people with Alzheimer's remember certain things. I remember hearing the, the story of Hubert Mitchell, just a great saint of God, as he got old and really began to lose his mind pretty much. And he was lying there in the hospital, but they said he would be singing out the hymns of the faith. And they said that you could go in there and he wouldn't know who you are, but if you started quoting a scripture verse, he could finish it for you. That's the way I want to go out. Just not knowing who the Dodgers are or anything else, but just having God's word so much a part of me that that's what I'm reduced to. But to memorize the word of God has huge advantages, but it also has a heavy price that you pay. So you know the theme song to Gilligan's Island. How about learning a few scripture verses? It might actually do you some good, but it takes discipline. There are other disciplines that the Bible talks about. One of them is giving of your finances to the Lord. But I don't have anything extra. No, I don't want it. It hurts. It's, it's tough. Sometimes you may have to live at a different lifestyle, or sometimes you may have to do without certain things that you like, but God promises it's always going to be worthwhile to you. But the reason he calls you to do it is because the sacrifice is good for you. The self-denial is good for you. Fasting, the Bible talks about fasting as a spiritual discipline and how important it is to be able to do that. See, from the beginning of church history, they made a list of the seven deadly sins, the ones that will destroy you. And one of them on the list is gluttony, eating too much. What we call gluttony is fellowship. It's like we've turned it into a religious ritual almost. Go, have some more. Come on, there's some more here. here. Come on, pump it down. It's okay. Hey, look, just loosen your belt. You'll have room for more. Praise the Lord. Oh, God, thank you for this Sunday. Thank you. And why is it that God said, take some time to not eat, that even when your stomach is growling, don't eat? It's because we have a race to run. We have a a fight to be involved in. And if we aren't willing to give up something simple like food, we're not willing to pay the price. Oh, it used to be tragic when I would see the wrestlers at Calvary Chapel, you know, just having to cut weight and just doing without. The tragic picture of one of the guys, Josh Holliday, who's the coach over there now, and he's a pastor at, at a Calvary Chapel up in the North County. But... But Josh, when he was a freshman, was trying to make 103 pounds. He was naturally about a 140-pounder at the time, but we had state champions at the next weights coming up, 112s, 119s, 125. So he had to make 103s. And the coach walked into the wrestling room one day, and Josh was lying in a fetal position in the corner of the wrestling room, and he had found a crumb of a brownie. And he was just smelling the brownie. For the last month of the season, Josh spent hours writing up menus of everything he was going to eat when the season was over. (laughs) But am I willing to do a tenth of that for godliness? Am I willing to deny myself? I have a hard time sticking with a diet. 
You know, I'll go and I'll do well. I'll like eat just a, one of these protein drinks for breakfast and I'll have protein drink for lunch. And then I'm on my way home from church and, you know, there's thankfully Halloween's over, but, you know, those little candy bars would be sitting in the foyer and, and it's like they're just going, come on, eat me. <laughs> and we so easily will go, okay. But if I can't say no to my body, if I can't say no to my selfishness, I disqualify myself. Ultimately, when my life, over the course of my life, has held up to the light of day, I will be one who's been disqualified. I counsel people all the time who are in pain. And I, and I wish I could tell them how to make the pain go away of life. But the ultimate reality of it is, life hurts. We are in training whether we like it or not. In the fairy tales including most fairy tale sermons that you hear, they tell you that, you know, as a wife, if you're just really loving to your husband, he's going to become just the perfect man. And you'll have a beautiful relationship. It's safe enough to make those kinds of promises because most people are never going to follow through anyway. Then you just feel guilty. I guess I'm not loving my wife as Christ loved the church, and that's why she's such a crab. And, you know, ultimately we end up there. But you know what? The Bible never promises that if we do the right thing, life's going to get easier for us. The reality of it is life hurts. And it's painful to be married to the best person in this world because the best person in this world is still full of sin, and it's hard, and things don't always work out our way, and sometimes the best thing we could say for each other is, yeah, your life hurts, but suck it up. You're just going to have to hang in there. Why? Because everything's going to be okay? No, maybe everything's not going to be okay. But there's a prize that's waiting for you. There's a godliness that God is going to work in you that is worth whatever else you give up in order to get there. And we have to believe that by faith, or we will be short-circuited. We will lose the race to ourselves. We'll miss the opportunity to really see the prize, that which God wants to do for us, because we thought it was going to be easy. And we thought it wasn't going to hurt. In that great line in the League of Our Own where the girl wanted to quit the baseball team and she was talking to Tom Hanks, the coach, and, and she wanted to go home and she goes, but it's just so hard. And Tom Hanks' character says, yeah, it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. And he said, the hard, that's what makes it great. And Paul would say amen to that. The hard, that's what makes it great. That's what is, what is building in us the character that God wants to do in our lives. Take a shortcut, you lose. Like that gal years ago who took a shortcut and won the Boston Marathon, and then they, I think her name was Rosie something or other, and, they, and then she ended up being disqualified once they found out that she didn't run the whole way. She cheated the path for us is a race with a goal that's worth going after. But the way to get there, the direct route, is getting beat up sometimes.
beating ourselves up, limiting ourselves, denying ourselves in order to then experience what God wants to do in our lives. Sometimes the answer isn't pleasant, but the answer is always worth it. Um, Tom Landry, who was a longtime coach of the Dallas Cowboys, I read one time where he was talking about what it is to be a coach. And he said, the job of a football coach is to make men do things that they don't want to do so that they can become what they've always dreamed of being. And that's God's heart for us. He's saying, I'm going to make you do things that you don't want to do. But it's so that you can become what you've always dreamed of. Maybe you didn't even think it was possible for you to be where I am putting you or to become what I am making you. But I'm the coach. So get back out there and battle. Run with a vengeance. Run with determination. Want to be the one who snatches the prize. Want to be the one who will make any sacrifice, who will give up any comfort to discipline yourself so that you can win, so that you can win over yourself. You can win over all your limitations. You can win over your own laziness and pride, and you can become who God has designed you to become. Let's pray. Lord, this isn't an easy message to hear. And when life hurts, the last thing we want to hear is it's supposed to hurt. But God, it's going to hurt regardless. We can be selfish and lazy and hurt, or we can head for the finish line and win with a vengeance because we are willing to pay whatever price it takes to win to finish strong, to become like you. God, whatever discipline you are calling us to, if it's a discipline of doing without, if it's a discipline of experiencing pain or humility, discomfort, embarrassment, tiredness, feeling ripped off or not appreciated or mistreated, Lord, Make us willing to pay that price so that we could win the prize for the high calling of God. It's in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.